Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people who teach it. In this episode, our librarian, Samantha Snyder, sits down with Kristen Blackstone, a fellow of the Washington Library and a current graduate student at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. If you would like to be a fellow uh, here at the library, uh, you can sign up now on the website uh, and apply. Uh, and fellowship applications are due December 31st. And also, if you are not already following us on social media, please do so at facebook.com slash the Washington Library or on Twitter and Instagram at GW Books. All right. Well, I'm really happy to be here in with you today, Kristen. <laughs> Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can go ahead and get started. Um, you were awarded a six-month fellowship here uh, last year. How, how did you feel when you got the fellowship? It was a really strange experience. Um, I It was amazing to find out that I received a six-month fellowship. Um, when I found out, I was just in the first year of my PhD. So I had only started my PhD like four months before and had applied just before Christmas, um, thinking that maybe I would get a month and that would be really great. I could come to Virginia, do some research and leave. And then in February, I found out that they had given me six months, which was amazing. Um yeah, it was the first time I'd ever gotten a fellowship, and so I don't really think I knew how to react. I was just very excited and unsure of what exactly I was walking into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said you were you were um, in your first year of your PhD then, um, was. and you are one of our unique fellows where you've split up your time. So yeah. how, how has your research changed? And I guess what are you researching, I should ask? Uh, so my PhD looks at morale and identity in the Continental Army. Mm-hmm. Um, I focus mostly on enlisted soldiers, so I read lots of diaries and orderly books from them to try to get a sense of their experience during the war and um, how the war affected them throughout different periods. Being here for the six months split over two years was actually extremely helpful to me. My supervisor recommended that I split it up if I could, and it was some of the best advice he's ever given me. So I did six weeks of it last summer, or last spring, I guess, um, the end of April and all of May, which gave me an opportunity to acquaint myself with the collections here figure out what you guys have, and then do lots of reading on my subject. So while I was here last year, I wrote um, quite a significant portion of my literature review for my PhD, and I came up with the outline of what I thought my PhD was going to look like. That outline changed drastically. It It changed very drastically. Um, But I had something and a good sense of the sources I was dealing with and where things were located. Um, And then I came back this summer, almost a year to the day, actually, that I was here last summer and was here for five months this time. So this time, everything was completely different because I had done most of the research here that I needed to do, with a couple exceptions. And I mostly just needed to read diaries that I already had and transcribe a bunch of diaries um, that I hadn't yet and then write. So at this point, my structure is very settled. Um, I cannot imagine it changing too drastically before I finish my PhD. And I've written three of my chapters out of the six, whereas when I was here last summer, I hadn't written anything. So yeah. The splitting it up was a great, a great chance for me. Awesome, that's yeah. awesome. Um, in the library, since you've you've been here so much, where did you do a lot of your research? Like, you have an office, and mm-hmm. what were all the spaces that you used? Oh, so many spaces. Um, I think one of the great things about the fellowship is that I 
the house I live in, obviously they give you accommodation here. And so I get to live in DeVos House, which is 45 second walk from the library. And then I have my own office in the library. And I only actually had to share that with someone else for about two months out of the six months I was here. Um, and my office mates were both lovely. And then obviously there's a beautiful reading room and a vault. So when I was taking notes on primary source material, I worked in the vault. The vault's slightly too chilly for me, um, which is a very <laughs> common thing in archives. So it's not like I spent all my time there. Uh, I actually didn't spend much time in the reading room at all because the reading room is surrounded by these beautiful windows that are just massive. Um, but it means that you can see everyone walking around the building and into the building, and that was going to distract me too much. Um, and obviously, I'm good friends with you, and so if I sat where you sat, I think we'd just we talk just slightly talking. too much. I, I worked most of the time in my office. I really like working in the office. Um, it means I get to see people and I have a space for all of my many, many piles of notes to go. Mm -hmm. um, but on the weekends, I also really enjoyed working at DeVos House. Um, at the back of the house, there's this wonderful screened-in porch that has ceiling fans and bugs rarely are inside. <laughs> and it's just this great table or a couch and writing out there is really good, especially in the rain. I think I wrote my entire lit review, sat on that porch writing as it was thundering and lightning outside. Sounds lovely. It was. Sounds absolutely lovely. Um, so you talk about your research process. You've mentioned where you researched. Um, what do you think is the most exciting thing you've found here at oh, the library? So I found two really exciting things. One is exciting for my research and one is nothing to do with my research, but it's still a really fun thing. So the thing that is was really exciting for my research, when I was here last year, I was looking at some of the military textbooks that George Washington owned throughout his life, trying to figure out when he acquired them and if they say anything about morale at all. And the vast majority of them say nothing, which was discouraging <laughs> and really unhelpful for my thesis. Um, but there was one day last year where there was a book from 1773 that George Washington owned, and he definitely had it by the middle of the war. We're not entirely sure when he bought it, but we think he probably bought it in 1775 when he went on his military book buying binge. Mm -hmm. um, and in the first paragraph of this book, it talks about calculating military drill for the emotions of the human heart and what people can affect during conflict. And that was really exciting because it was the first time that something akin to morale was mentioned in a military textbook and then I had proof George Washington owned it and it just kind of grounded my entire thesis in that yes morale was something they were very concerned with um, it's something he read about and this is proof uh, which was a really great moment the other fun thing I actually just saw very recently the special collections librarian here Kat um was letting me look at something related to my thesis that I just had taken very bad notes on the year before and so had to relook at. And she was like, oh, I found a letter from Scotland. Um, and because I live in Scotland, I was like, I absolutely need to see that. And it was a really interesting letter. Is two letters, actually. So it's from a brother in Philadelphia writing to his brother in Scotland. Um, they're Scottish, and one of them had immigrated. And the one that had immigrated to Philadelphia is trying to convince his brother to move to Philly. <laughs> and so he spends an entire letter comparing Scotland and America. Um, they're from, when they're in Scotland, they're from a little village just outside of Glasgow um, and then Philly, obviously. And so they compare cows and they compare soil. Um, they compare Presbyterians to Quakers. Oh. He's really bothered by the fact that Quakers can work on the Sabbath. Huh. Really upsets him, as it would any good Scottish Presbyterian. <laughs> um, and then... 
the second letter in the series is from like three months later and the brother in Philadelphia is like maybe you should wait to come to America <laughs> and he says something about the present dispute between Parliament and America and it's written in June of 1775 just after Bunker Hill and obviously after Lexington and Concord and at the end of the letter he's like yeah some battle happened at some New England town mm-hmm. called Concord mm-hmm. um, so it was just really fun to see someone who's clearly knows about the conflict but has no idea how big it's going to become yep. and is like yeah maybe you should just wait yeah. for a little bit and yeah. then you can come over it like puts it in the, in the time period yeah. which is cool it's truly a primary source it was really in interesting yeah that's super interesting um, I guess talking about Scotland, you are a unique international fellow here. Yeah. You are a Scottish resident at the moment, mm-hmm. but you grew up in the state of Maine. I did. So how has that been, the transition of coming back to America after doing all your schooling in Scotland for higher it's, education? It's been really interesting. So I moved to Scotland the day after my 18th birthday, which was seven years ago, um, and have lived there since. I adore living in Scotland. It's I live in Edinburgh, which is one of the world's most beautiful cities, and I've just really made a home for myself there. Um, I actually only come back to America about two weeks a year. I come home at Christmas normally, and that's it. I'm quite content to stay in Scotland the rest of the time. So when I started my PhD, um, I did so with the acknowledgement because I decided to continue my American history PhD in Scotland that I was probably going to have to come to America for research, although I must confess I didn't expect to be given a six-month fellowship (laughs) and have to spend six months in the U.S. Um, So it was interesting because last summer I was here for six weeks, which at that point was the longest I had ever spent in the U.S. after I moved to Scotland, and this summer's been five months, which is a lot. Um, I What did I have to adjust to? The food portions are very different, mm. which I think is that very stereotypical American versus yes. everywhere else in the world thing. Yes. Someone always will comment on the food portions. Um, I had to readjust to driving everywhere. So in Scotland, I walk absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere. And if I can't walk or if it's raining and I decide not to, I can get a bus. Um, but here, everything's just so far away from one another that I actually had to get a car and drive around, Mm -hmm. which has been great. I really like driving, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's very strange that when I need to do something now, I just get in my car. Yeah, yeah. Um, But you can walk to the Mount Vernon Inn. I can walk to the Mount Vernon Inn. (laughs) I can see Harry at the bar, and I can have my morning chips, which has made all of the difference. It's very true. Yes, yes. Um, I can't think of a better place to spend more time for the longest period of time you've been back than, than here? Yeah, it's it's been a really good period here. I think partly because the people here are also great, mm-hmm. so it's not like I have to live in a house by myself totally. and then just go to work and then go home. Um, I mean, I have lived in that house by myself, but only for a couple of weeks, and there's always been people in the office, but at the most I've been living with eight other people, and so um, it's been really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess going off of that, since you've been here for so long and you've you've kind of gotten yourself known in the library and, and our library is relatively small, so there's a bit of the ability to, you know, work with other departments and things. You've done some of that. Um, can you tell I me have. more about who you've worked with? Yeah, I've done so much this summer. I think part of the reason um, I've gotten to do so much is because I split my time. So I was here for six weeks last year. I never knew I was going to be back so they could book me in. Uh, I've done lots of different things. So 
Um, I worked for the education department for a bit. They have teacher institutes. Um, they do five of them. Well, there's five weeks of them on five different topics, and I helped on the ones um, that were related to military and related to leadership. For military, um, Joe, who works in the library, and I gave a joint talk about soldiers during the Revolutionary War, just a broad, why did soldiers fight mm-hmm. blanket lecture and then get questions from the teachers after, which was really fun. But then the week after, with leadership, I worked with a teacher from D.C. named Amy and Allison and Alyssa, who work in the education department here, and we came up with a lesson plan for teachers um, to use primary sources. I came up with 24 of them, um, all related to the military and military leadership and how that um, shows itself and demonstrates itself. And what we did was we had an activity that Amy had designed in her classroom and my sources, and we put them together. And when we presented to the Teacher Institute, we made the teachers actually do this activity that they were going to do in their classrooms, which was really, really fun. That's super fun. Yeah. And the teachers had a good time, and you could tell it really, really worked. Um, Apparently, Allison had said that this is a lesson that they had kind of changed every year because they couldn't quite figure out something that worked well, but that they were quite happy with what we made. So that was nice. I also worked with the leadership department quite a bit in a couple different ways. Um, So I spoke to the leadership fellows that were here. So these are um, ongoing juniors. They will be in their junior years of college uh, in September. And they're here for six weeks studying about leadership. And I spoke to them on strategic leadership, so what it meant to be as a to be a strategic leader. I did it um, from a military perspective. I looked at the year 1775 and came up with an activity for them where I, using a series of quotes, laid out the situation George Washington was faced with in 1775, and then they had to come up with how they would solve it in unique and creative ways, thinking strategically, so being future-focused, not just looking at the conflict in the moment. That was really fun to do. About a week after I did it with that group of students, I was asked to do the same activity, but with a group of officers in the Army. Um, So Fort Belvoir is just down the road, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the Army does its education here, so they come and officers can get certificates in leadership and whatnot. And so I got to do um, the same activity with the Army, and it was really interesting to see the contrast between what these 19, 20-year-old students came up with for how they would deal with this military situation and what actual officers in the U.S. Army came up with. Yeah. Um, And it was really interesting, especially to see them present it. So the students presented it in a way that the students I teach in Scotland do. Um, They kind of all went around and had some thoughts, and they were scattered, but not in a bad way. They just had lots of thoughts, so they were excited to get out. Mm -hmm. And the group of officers in the military gave me very clear one, two, three, four, five. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And it was really, really interesting to see. That's super interesting. Yeah, it was the (laughs) first time that I've ever gotten to speak to a military group on my topic. Um, And I also gave them just a general overview of my Mm -hmm. thesis. And it was interesting to see because primarily what I look at is diaries, as I said earlier. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these soldiers also keep diaries. And it was interesting because I would make comments on how my soldiers keep their diaries, what they talk about. And then these soldiers would all laugh as it's it's this inside joke, regardless of the fact that I'm talking about 18th century soldiers and they're 21st century soldiers. They still do very similar things, um, which was interesting to see. And I didn't I don't think I expected that. 
Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that either. That's really neat. But they also write about the weather pretty much every day. And, yeah, it was just really interesting to do. Cool. Very cool. Um, So since you've been here in America and since you're not quite finished up with your Ph.D. yet, have you had any other fellowships or do you have any coming up? I have had... I've completed two other fellowships, and I have one more coming up. So um, around the same time I found out I received this fellowship, I also received one from the British Library, which mm-hmm. is not in America. Um, it's in beautiful London. Beautiful library. Yeah, it is a beautiful <laughs> library. I, the British Library is great. So they have an Eccles Center there for American Studies, and they fund um, fellowships for people who research American Studies to come, and they give you a stipend, and you can come for as long or as little as your stipend lasts. So I went and spent about two weeks in the library, spread over a couple cool. months, and got some really great research done there. I also had, um, this summer actually, I had a fellowship at the Society of the Cincinnati, which is in D.C., Mm -hmm. an organization that George Washington was part of. Um, So it was an organization founded after the revolution from officers in the Continental Army, and they have an incredible library there with so many sources, be it diaries or orderly books. I think they have 47 orderly books that are still in manuscript form. Um, They also have lots of diaries in manuscript form, but also diaries that have been printed in various ways throughout the year, Mm -hmm. um, throughout the years. And so it was really great to get to go there and research. Um, They also offer a stipend of money, and Mm. they don't offer housing. Um, And I was lucky enough that Mount Vernon was gracious enough to let me every couple weeks go Mm -hmm. into D.C. for a day and work there. And Michelle and Ellen, who are the librarians there, are extraordinarily helpful, and I had a wonderful time there, too. Um, And then the next fellowship I have will be next April. I have a fellowship at the David Library of the American Revolution, which is in Washington's Crossing, um, Pennsylvania, though on the New Jersey border. Um, I've never been there, but all of the other scholars I know that have been there said it is equally as wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been very lucky. Of the three fellowships I've done, I have had enormous luck, and everyone has been great, and they've been extremely useful to my research. Totally, totally. Yeah. The, and Michelle and Ellen are former librarians here. They are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. both of them worked here for quite a few <laughs> years. Michelle was definitely around seven, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure how many years mm-hmm. Ellen was here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they both worked here and still speak very highly of Mount Vernon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? So, in your time here, you uh, have been to. You've helped with a lot of different things, but Mount Vernon also puts on a number of events. So many events. Um, what? What types of things have you attended, and what was your favorite? I have attended. Oh, that's not a fair question. There's so many things. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, it's fine. Uh, it's definitely one of the strengths of the fellowship program here is it's not just you get up in the morning, you go do your research, you go home at night. There's also an extraordinary number of events that you can participate in if you want to keep you engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first ones I ever attended were book talks. They happen pretty much every month here. A lot of the books have actually been by former fellows, which was really interesting to see. So fellows who had been doing research here have sent published the book and have been invited back to give a talk. Um, Lots of the speakers get to stay in the DeVos house where I'm staying, so in addition to going to their talks, I actually get to speak to them as well, which has been great. Um, There's lots of other random events here. They Mm -hmm. have a Revolutionary War weekend, which I've attended the past two years. We did go to that. (laughs) It's really fun. Um, They have battle reenactments, and they have set up camp, and all the soldiers, um, or the people who are Mm -hmm. pretending to be soldiers, get to stay overnight on the bowling green at Mount Vernon and have... um, what they call a jollification (laughs) in the evening uh, where Mount Vernon gives them food and they play camp music with fiddles and with fifes and it's just really, really cool to see. 
They're also, um, this year was a decorative arts symposium at the beginning of May, which was a three-day event um, with different lectures on decorative arts in the British Atlantic. And it, the lectures spanned from talks about portraits to talks about the mahogany trade to talking about how the shopping street in London's have changed over the years, the main stretches. Um, it was a really interesting event. I think of all the events I've been to, that's probably been my favorite yeah. just because it's not a topic I study mm-hmm. and it's not one I knew a lot about. I knew nothing about the mahogany trade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Me> but <either laughs> each of the each of the lectures was really fascinating and yeah. the people there were great and it was just a really fun event. Um, there also also was a quiz, like a trivia quiz that night, and I love trivia quizzes. Doug's team won. Not entirely sure he wasn't cheating. Uh, yeah. But we'll give it to him. Maybe. This time. This time. Yeah, he won't win next year. That's that's one of the coolest things about Mount Vernon is is how everything overlaps so much. How you mm-hmm. can you can come in thinking you're gonna learn just one thing and then suddenly you're attending lectures on the mahogany trade and, and all of that. Exactly. So, it yeah, was yeah. It, it was a really interesting conference and something that had I been somewhere else and not it wasn't literally at my back door and they Mm -hmm. didn't offer um, to let me go for free I probably wouldn't have gone to um, but I learned a lot and was really glad that I was able to go and participate that weekend totally totally Um, well I guess kind of my the big the big question I have is what was your favorite part in general of this whole fellowship A loaded question. A very loaded question. I feel like you're going to be deeply offended if I don't say (laughs) the reference librarian Samantha Schneider for being so wonderful the entire time I was here. Um, I mean, besides that. I think I've mentioned it earlier, and it does, I mean, I'm not mentioning you by name specifically, but it does include you in this, is I think the biggest strength of this fellowship um, is the sheer amount of people you get to interact and work with while you're here. So in addition to the library director and the library staff and the education staff and the leadership staff and the curatorial staff and then the staff over at the main estate, you also have scholars for the book talks that come in and out. And then um, I had the wonderful people that I got to live with throughout the summer who could be research fellows that were here for one, three, or six months. There was no six-month fellows this year, but last year there was another one here with me. And it could also be teacher fellows who were here doing very specific research projects for their classrooms for three weeks. Um, I think I've overlapped with over 20 people in the house over the past two years. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and they've all been really wonderful. Um, it's it's a really unique thing to be able to live in a house with other people who are as interested in history as you are even if it's not quite the same history that you look at Mm -hmm. and being able if you have a question to just go into the kitchen and be like guys I need your opinion on this like does this make any sense um it's it's something you don't get normally um outside of fellowships where you reside with other fellows actually it's not something you get at all totally and so that has been really really great and the people have just been wonderful and supportive. They've offered to read my work, and if I've had a bad day, they're there with a glass of wine at the end. Mm -hmm. If I've had a good day, they're still there with a glass of wine at the end. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I mean, everything about this fellowship has been really great, but it's definitely the people that you get to work with um, and interact with throughout your three to six three weeks to six months time here that have made all the difference, I think. Totally. Well, I know we appreciate you here. Yeah, I've loved being here. Yes. I'm coming back to visit next Oh, yes. Next year, so you're not quite stuck with, you're not quite rid of me yet. No, never. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much for having yes. me, both on the podcast and then in the library for the past six months. Definitely. It's been a really wonderful experience. Yes. Yes. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.